Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, before we get to this week's expedition to India, we have to thank our new Patreon subscribers. Thanks to Bob C., Fred B., Quentin L., Paul H., Christopher G., Zero M., Lucretia C., Adrian S., Climber, Benson A., Valerie C., On Deck, Becky B., Kevin B., Matt M., Stacy R., Tyler McL., Polly S., Paul M., John G., Jason H., Brian G., Sam Fort, Carla L., Eric B., Bruce H., Ward J., Simon E., Matt W., Adam H., Joe H., Casey F., Gilbert B., Kathy B., Mons B., Kadir T., Shane S., Ben W., Pierre C. D., Beth S., Sean H., Liza G., Nora C., Jake B., Zach N., and Michelle B. Your support truly makes the show continue. We hope you enjoy your early editions of the show, bonus episodes and content, and other rewards. If you'd like to learn more about our Patreon campaign, visit patreon.com slash somewhereskies. Enjoy this week's episode. Keep looking up. In September of 2012, Indian troops guarding the often tense 2100-mile border between India and China reported seeing strange objects in the sky. These objects were described as yellow spheres that appeared to lift off from the Chinese side, slowly transversing the sky for three to five hours before disappearing. Indian military officials reportedly ruled out Chinese drones or low-orbit satellites. The sightings also stumped their defense and technical research organizations. Many news outlets in India even dubbed the objects ULOs, or Unidentified Luminous Objects. In any case, the Indian Army reportedly deployed a mobile ground-based radar unit and a spectrum analyzer to assess what was dancing so liberally over the border. As the troops watched the light show, however, the machines picked up absolutely nothing, surmising that whatever these objects were, they were non-metallic. The army reportedly aimed one of their drones in the direction of these ULOs, and in an instant, they all disappeared. Astronomers were also called in. According to local media, they saw some of the same unexplained objects, but gave up after three days concluding that whatever these objects were, they were non-celestial. Indian border troops reported these objects for over a span of three months, totaling over a hundred different sightings. To this day, the sightings have never been explained. 
Was this some sort of technology game being played out by China? Or could it have been something possibly otherworldly? India has a long history of unidentified flying objects and futuristic aerial vehicles that, if the ancient texts are to be believed, stretch back thousands and thousands of years. What's particularly interesting about the ancient Sanskrit texts is that they appear to speak openly of beings from another world, machines that fly on Earth and in space, as well as ancient wars with advanced weapons. And what's more, many people, including scholars who have studied them, take them as absolute fact. This general widespread belief in the realities of such texts is perhaps vindicated in the many instructions on how to construct and operate these advanced vehicles contained within their pages. And, just like many other places throughout the world, these sightings of advanced vehicles continue even up until today. This is the rich and extraordinary history of UFOs over India. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. UFO event was reported to the National UFO Reporting Center in 2002, June 30, 1988, in the Madras region of India, Chennai City to be exact. The witness returned to the hostel where they were staying. As he usually did, he shut the door and went about opening the windows in order to let in some fresh air. After doing so, he went to remove his shoes. It was then that things turned strange. The witness claimed the following. The windows slammed crazily with a sudden gust of wind, and everything became very dark. I wanted to know what was happening, so I went out onto the balcony of my room. I looked up in the sky, and I noticed how a certain part of it had turned into an inky blue, but only to a limited area. Then I noticed a flash of red light coming from above the clouds. At first, I thought maybe it was a helicopter coming down for a landing. However, the closer I looked, the more I realized that the light was not flickering like a helicopter would. It was just hovering in the same place. The other very strange thing that caught my attention was that there was absolutely no sound coming from whatever this was. The next thing the witness realized, the light had changed from red to orange. And of more concern, it was growing larger. It was at this time that the light took on a distinct oval-shaped appearance. The lights then begin to change color once more, from pink to yellow to orange, and then back to red. As well as changing color, it appeared to grow brighter. The witness then came to another realization. I was alone, and I feared that if I reported this, no one would believe me. So I ran to another room and grabbed someone from across the hall. I literally dragged him back to the window and showed him. It was clear he saw it too. The object appeared to head in their direction, 
before coming to a stop once more. It remained motionless for several seconds, and then took off at a relatively fast speed, skimming through the air at a high altitude. As the pair watched, the object then began to decrease in size, becoming no more than a faint light within a matter of seconds. And then, it disappeared. However, this would not be the last time that this witness would see something strange in the skies. Several nights later, he found himself on the balcony with several other people who lived at the hostel. It was around 10pm and the subject of the bizarre object came up. As the witness began to tell them of the encounter he had had, he realized that they were not taking his account seriously. Even though he had a corroborating witness to the event, although this witness remained tight-lipped during the relaying of the account. The exchange grew slightly heated until the witness noticed something in the sky. It was the exact same object. We all watched it for a while, and nobody could make sense of it. That shut them all up pretty quickly. Over the course of the following months, the witness would see the strange craft on several other occasions. And the more he witnessed the object, the more detail he began to note about it. It always seemed to appear in the direction of the airport and head out toward the sea. It also seemed to move with a lazy feel until it reached the coast. At that point, it would increase speed dramatically. There was another time it approached a fighter jet at great speed, and when it caught up to it, it came to a sudden stop above it and then maintained a distance, but followed it until I couldn't see it anymore. I don't know what this thing is, but it keeps coming back, and I just keep seeing it. As the 2000s began to unfold, more and more UFOs began to be reported over India. And while this is likely due to the advancements in technology, such as the availability of mobile phones to capture footage, as well as the internet, which ensures such sightings are not forgotten over the course of time, the fact is, it's most likely that these sightings are a continuation of events that have occurred here for a considerably long time. Now, some of these sightings are more intriguing than others, and many of them share very similar details, perhaps lending them a little more credibility. The following sighting would receive coverage in local newspapers. It was April 10th, 2001, when this event took place over Darwad in Karnataka. The main witness, a student at the time, was sitting outside the room with two friends. We were having a discussion when I happened to look up. I noticed something strange in the dark sky above. At first I thought maybe it was just a very big airplane, but the more I focused on it, that's when I realized it was a distinct triangle. It had a white light on each corner on the underside. It was descending and came very low. If I was on the third or fourth floor of a building, I probably could have touched it. The triangular craft headed toward the mountains nearby. The students began to follow it, doing so for around 5 minutes, estimating that it was moving between 20 to 25 miles per hour. The triangle disappeared over the side of a hill. By the time they had made it to the top of the hill, the witnesses reported that the object had vanished. Interestingly, the following day, a local newspaper ran an article claiming that several other people had witnessed the triangle. A similar sighting unfolded around 18 months later, over Navi, Mumbai, 
at just after 7 p.m. on December 20th, 2003. The witness, who was on their way to a night class at the time, noticed a glowing object in the early evening sky. Like many people who first notice a glowing object overhead, the witness at first believed what they were seeing was an airplane or a helicopter. However, as they looked at the object again, they noticed that there was something strange about it. As I focused more on the object, I realized it had a triangular shape to it. The light was actually three lights, one on each corner of the triangular shape. I would estimate that each side of the triangle was around 3,000 feet in length and appeared to be flying at an altitude of around 1,000 to 1,500 feet. What really caught my attention was the lack of noise. This craft was completely silent. The object remained in sight for around two minutes before disappearing. On May 28, 2006, over Karwar, Karnataka, a witness was sitting on their balcony watching the sky overhead after dinner. Although it was dark, the white clouds were still visible overhead, which had captivated the witness's attention. Suddenly, a huge, bright, strange thing appeared out of the clouds, oscillating as it did so. He watched the object for around 20 minutes, even noticing how a passenger jet passed by at one stage, reinforcing the fact that he was viewing something truly extraordinary. Eventually, the witness rushed downstairs to get his sister so that she could corroborate what he was seeing. Upon leading her up to the balcony, she too witnessed the glowing craft. Each of them remained where they were for several minutes before the craft began to move into the distance. Although he believed that he and his sister had been the only people who had witnessed this event, he would discover an article in the Daily Tanti newspaper several days later which described the same object that they'd seen. Another rotating disc-shaped object was witnessed at around 11.15pm on the evening of January 22nd over NDA Hill. The witness, a local man, witnessed the strange object overhead as he parked his car. He immediately called his wife, informing her of what he was looking at. After speaking with him, she ran to grab her binoculars and attempted to locate the object her husband was describing. Amazingly, she had it in her sights almost immediately. She would recall how it was definitely disc-shaped, with stable lights on its circumference. Once more, it was clearly rotating on its own axis. It remained in this position for around 30 seconds before it began to descend to the ground in a drifting motion. It would ultimately disappear out of sight behind a nearby hill. The witnesses ran to the hill to see what was on the other side, and when they arrived, there was nothing. Let's rewind a little ways back to the year 1927 in the bordering region of Nepal. According to a 1964 nightcap report by Richard Hall, a strange encounter with a UFO unfolded a little after 9.30 a.m. on August 5th over the Himalayan mountains. The witness, explorer Nicholas Rorick, was by his caravan along with several other members of his team when they noticed a big black eagle flying overhead. As they were watching the bird, one of the group noticed a shiny oval-shaped object moving through the bright morning sky. The rest of the group then noticed as well 
watching as a disc-shaped object reflected the sun brilliantly. It was moving with great speed and changed direction several times. Despite the speed of the craft, it was visible long enough for the witnesses to view it through their binoculars. Rorik would recall that they could see quite distinctly the oval form with a shiny surface. The object would eventually disappear. What the object might have been is clearly up for debate. There has been, though, plenty of theories put forward to explain the bizarre sightings in Nepal that morning. UFO researcher Leon Davidson, for example, would claim that what the group saw was nothing but a weather balloon that was released by another expedition nearby. However, as Richard Hall points out, given that weather balloons at the time would have been between two and four feet in length, for it to have been visible to Rorik and his team, it would have meant that the Swedish expedition would have to have been only a mile away. Essentially, they would have almost literally bumped into one another at such short ranges. What's more, Rorik would have been able to see the launch, as well as hear it. We know, however, that this wasn't the case. The two parties were around 400 miles from one another at their closest meeting point, meaning the chances of it being a weather balloon are almost non-existent. What's more, Rorik and his team claim that they viewed the object with their binoculars for several moments and could clearly see the detailed shape of it. Each would have been more than familiar with weather balloons, and we might expect that they would have easily recognized the object. Moving back to the 1990s, we visit a curious incident that occurred on April 19, 1990, when a saucer-shaped object was witnessed by several crew members of a tanker vessel, the Kim Sank. This bizarre object ascended from the ocean and started circling the ship. The incident unfolded around 200 miles south of Matara in the Indian Ocean. Rasika Mawatha the 47-year-old captain of the ship claimed the following. It was at least five times the size of our ship. I was so shocked that I nearly fainted from fright. The entire crew all fell to the deck, covering their heads from this massive craft that had just suddenly appeared. The craft glowed and pulsated with light. And there was also a thick beam of light that shined from the underside of it. I had the feeling that whoever or Whatever was inside it was scanning our vessel. But it didn't end there. Not only was this strange craft possibly scanning the vessel, but rendering it inoperable. All of our ship's instruments went haywire. Our radio was completely dead, and the needles on all of our compasses kept spinning around and around. Incidentally, the moment the object vanished back beneath the waves, the instruments, radio, and compasses all returned to normal. Although no one was injured during the incident, the tanker itself suffered structural damage due to towering waves that hit when the craft first arose from the depths of the ocean. Following Mawatha's report of the incident, authorities would search the area for several days in an attempt to locate the strange object. However, no signs of it were ever found. 
According to an account in the May 10, 1998 edition of the Sri Lankan Sunday Times, on the afternoon of April 30, 1998, an unusual event occurred that involved school children from the Adikaram Primary School in Bandarawela. On the day in question, eight-year-old Indika Disanyak arrived at school at around 6.30 a.m. He went along to his classroom and dropped off his bag inside when a sudden sharp noise reached his ears. He would later recall that he thought the building was collapsing. He rushed outside fully expecting the building to begin crumbling around him. However, as he stepped outside, he witnessed a large disc-shaped object with what appeared to be legs protruding from the underside resting on the surface of the playground. He stood rooted to the spot and watched the object as lights began to flash red and yellow. He continued to watch for what seemed like only a few moments before it suddenly rose off the ground and took off into the air with tremendous speed. When the young boy checked the time, it was almost 7.45 a.m., meaning over an hour had passed. Unbeknownst to Indika, at the time, was that another student at the school also witnessed the bizarre landing, 10-year-old Harsha Elawala Jadara. As he was a senior student, it was Harsha's responsibility to unlock all of the classrooms before the school day started. It was as he was doing this that he heard the same sudden loud noise that Indika had heard. He turned around and looked out of the classroom window, which overlooked the playground. There, resting on three legs, was the disc-shaped object, flashing red and yellow. He would recall how only a second later, it took off into the sky. It climbed higher and floated off over the mountains. He would further recall to the newspaper reporters that it was around eight feet across and seven feet high. What's more, despite a soft buzzing sound when it left the ground, the vehicle didn't make a single noise. Unfortunately, due to the lack of adults at the scene at the time, many of the imprints that had been left in the sandy playground had been smeared by people walking over them. Even more extraordinary, the witnesses claim that these kinds of objects are often seen flying overhead. In fact, Later that evening, another sighting occurred at another nearby school, and it would come to be known as the St. Joseph's Ground Incident. Do you like stories of the strange, the weird, and the unexplained? Then we want you to check out Jim Harold's Campfire. The concept is pretty simple. Jim talks to regular people about strange stuff that happens to them. And yes, that includes UFOs along with cryptids, ghosts, and head-scratchers. He doesn't exaggerate or play a lot of spooky music, kinda like I'm doing right now. The stories speak for themselves. One's like a ghost story involving serial killer Ted Bundy, or the young man who encountered an eight-legged demon. Then there's the story of an alien abduction by what could be considered a reptilian. Now, not all the stories are horrifying, some are actually pretty heartwarming, like a visit from a past loved one or a peaceful near-death experience. Regardless, these are true and fascinating stories told by ordinary people who've had extraordinary experiences. 
tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Somewhere in the Skies. And remember, stay spooky. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. At 7.45 p.m., around 12 hours after the UFO landed at the other primary school, a 16-year-old student from St. Thomas College, Sheeran De Silva, was walking home after having visited his grandmother. As he walked near the St. Joseph's grounds, he noticed a strange column of bright light that appeared to reach the ground from the sky. He looked up and saw the unmistakable shape of a disc-shaped object overhead. Before he could move, a bright red-yellow light emerged from the craft and hit his body. Although it didn't cause any injury, the episode was enough to make the student turn and run as fast as he could. He would later state that he knew instantly that it was a spaceship. There were, though, even more witnesses to these strange events of April 1998. A short time later, Dr. Ramachandran from the Bandarawela District Hospital also witnessed something strange while driving home from work. As he happened to look at the sky, he witnessed a strange light heading skyward. At first, he believed it was merely a flare from a nearby camp. However, as he continued on his journey, he eventually discovered that the light appeared to be coming from a lonely field near the AMO quarters. Dr. Ramachandran would later claim that the light was strange because it went straight into the sky like a laser beam. He and his wife, who also saw the incident, would describe the light as a definite red-yellow color and like a beam. One of Dr. Ramachandran's colleagues, Dr. Kamani Pushpa Kumara, of the Diatilawa Hospital had witnessed an almost identical display several weeks earlier as she watched the stars with her three children. 
as they looked up, a disc-shaped object flew overhead with flashing red, yellow, and green lights. Although she wasn't sure of what they'd seen, she was certain it wasn't a helicopter or a plane, adding that this was different and unlike anything she'd seen before. Although local police were aware of the sightings, they were unable to explain what they were, and these cases remained unsolved. On June 8, 2002, a wave of sightings occurred over Polanuara in Sri Lanka. These sightings were investigated and well-documented by the Sri Lankan UFO Research Association. Their files state that over 100 people reported seeing strange objects flying overhead. What's more, many of these sightings contained almost identical details in terms of the general description of the vehicle itself, as well as how they moved. Many of the reports stated that strange craft were glowing spherical objects that simply hovered in the sky before disappearing with lightning speed. On many occasions, several of these glowing orbs were seen together in clusters, and they often emitted colored lights that sometimes reached the ground. A further flurry of UFO sightings was reported the following month in July, according to an article in the July 4, 2002 edition of the Daily News of Sri Lanka. And many of the details of these sightings were remarkably similar to each other. One particular witness who wished to remain anonymous claimed that more than 100 villagers witnessed at least one of the sightings while he was camping near the Parakrama Samudra on the evening of June 15th. On the night in question, at around 11.30pm, he and many others witnessed a blue-white light beam that was unlike any light they'd seen before. This beam, according to the witness, would rotate before disappearing and then reappear moments later in a different location in the sky. The witness would continue to report that the light beams appeared to emanate from the dense jungle that surrounded the area where they were camping. According to a report, one of the witnesses, an advanced level student, was familiar with these strange glowing objects. He would claim that when they moved through the sky, they did so with high velocity. However, when they chose to fly at a lower altitude, a faint hum or buzz could be heard. They could also change direction in a split second. The objects were witnessed for several consecutive days before stopping as quickly as they had started. To the north of India lies Pakistan. In October of 1988, around 7 p.m., a local resident was flying his model airplane from a field in Karachi, along with a friend. Although the sky was beginning to darken slightly, the sun was still visible in the sky. As they were watching one of their model airplanes, one of the witnesses noticed something in front of the plane pass by that briefly reflected the sun. They focused on the object and realized that it was a distinct boomerang shape with a white color to it. What's more, it appeared to be spinning. He would estimate that it was approximately the size of a Boeing 737 airplane and didn't appear to be moving particularly fast. Before the witnesses could truly focus on it any further, it disappeared out of sight. It is perhaps also worth mentioning that several sightings were reported in Thailand as well around the same time, which lies across the Bay of Bengal to the east of India. 
For example, in late November of 1968, at the Royal Thai Air Force Base, the ground control approach reported two unidentified objects that were moving slowly at a low altitude. They continued to track them until they were within several miles of the base before simply disappearing. Returning back to India and rewinding quite a bit, let's dig into the ancient texts that boasted incidents of advanced flying machines, or Vimanas. Not only do these ancient texts speak of vehicles that could traverse the earth, but they also mention vehicles that could venture into the far reaches of outer space. Some even speak of gods taking humans on board these spaceships and visiting other planets. This advanced knowledge, though, spread much further than just aerial vehicles. The Sanskrit texts are full of detailed writings, not only on technological flying vehicles, but advanced building designs and highly advanced medical procedures. For example, according to researcher Praveen Mahan, advanced medical knowledge is contained in the Sanskrit texts known as Sashrata Samhita, which was recorded around a hundred years before similar writings of Hippocrates, regarded as the father of modern medicine. What's more, although these texts were only recorded around 800 BC, they had been passed on orally for thousands of years. Much can also be said for many of the ancient buildings in India, perhaps not least the temple in Sirpur that was recently discovered largely intact after being buried in the debris of the surrounding city from an earthquake in the 11th century. The one-time superintendent of the Archaeological Survey of India, Dr. Arun Sharma, claimed the building is a perfect example of Vedic architecture, which used heavy stones sealed with Ayurvedic paste, said to be so strong it lasts for over 1,500 years, compared to only 70 years for cement. What's more, the building was built with specially designed vertical shafts or chambers that led straight down and helped assist against damage from earthquakes. This not only shows that they were aware of the possibility of such a natural but devastating event, but they had also learned to overcome it. If we return to the notion of flying vehicles in ancient India, it's worth noting the lecture and submitted paper of a principal at a pilot training school, Anand Bodas, who at the 2015 Indian Science Congress claimed that ancient Indian texts provided blueprints for flying machines that could be built and flown today, just as they had been in the ancient world. It is worth noting the experiments of aerospace engineer Travis Taylor who would use a 3D print of a model designed from instructions in such ancient texts to prove that it was in fact aerodynamically sound. What's also interesting is a paper around the same time as Bodas's claims of an ancient flying machine in the Volume 4, Issue 3, 2014 paper by the International Journal of Engineering and Innovative Technology, titled Vedic Eon Engine. The findings of several engineers ultimately reported that the Vaimanika Shastra describes in detail the construction of what is called the Mercury Vortex Engine, the forerunner of the ion engines being made by NASA. 
Furthermore, NASA has since used ion engines in space in the years since the paper was published. The more we study the Sanskrit texts, the more intriguing and eye-opening they become. However, unlike many other parts of the world, the ancient writings and texts that speak of these flying machines and advanced beings, or gods, are seemingly written as fact, and for the most part, have been well preserved and remained in the consciousness of the indigenous population in India. If we're looking to find absolute proof of an extraterrestrial presence on Earth thousands of years ago, or at the very least a civilization so advanced it had flying vehicles, some of which could reach other planets, there might be no better place to find it than in these ancient Sanskrit texts. When we factor in some of the apparent underwater ruins in the region, then the idea of an advanced civilization possibly with advanced technology existing in this part of the world thousands of years ago, grows even more curious. And we might also consider the vast Indian Ocean to the south of the region, an ocean that could easily allow for discrete movement, or maybe even more extraordinary, a place for these vehicles and their possible occupants to reside. Looking towards the future of UFO studies, there is almost no argument that can be made that the United States has had a major influence on how this topic is being handled. After a firestorm of revelations, stretching back to the now-famous New York Times article of 2017, up to the current landscape of a newly formed group within the Pentagon to study UFO and UAP reports, other countries have begun to follow suit. China has boasted an AI program to capture, collect, and categorize UFO sightings. Japan's defense minister has requested the self-defense forces follow new protocols regarding possible interactions or sightings of unidentified flying objects. France has GAIPAN, or the Group for Study and Information on Unidentified Aerospace Phenomena which actually runs through the French Space Agency. All the reports of UFOs and UAP are eventually released to the public. And it now appears that India will be yet another example of studying UFOs in an official capacity. The Indian Astrobiology Research Foundation has launched the IARF, Center of Excellence for UFOs. Here is one of the leading astrobiologists in India and head of the IARF and ICEU, Pushkar Vadya, speaking with Indian-based news organization, The Week. We set up this center of uh, excellence for uh, UFOs. If we believe it is okay, you know, if it's all right to look for aliens, uh, for extraterrestrial life outside of Earth, then why the hell do we have a problem if they are here? Therefore. It is the exact search we are doing any which ways. The problem is instead of, you know, we going and looking for them, there is a phenomenon which is suggesting that they might just be right here. Can it be investigated through that way? Now, that's a different story. But is it a part of science? Well, absolutely. We need to look at this particular phenomenon not as a uh, not as an academic issue, you know, because it is not anymore. Uh, it's an uh, issue which is global. And it, it's an issue which is going to affect the public. It's going to affect you and me. You know, it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, something being academic or research because uh, 
they seem to be going everywhere without any permission so it's a socio scientific issue and the public discourse and debate is extremely important the involvement that what are we dealing with and it has to go beyond this thing of you know i mean what are they and do we have to fear and all that stuff because i think it's only a social scientific issue so the thing is that who is going to speak to them you know and uh, what is the cultural depth you require to you know handle these conversations and given the track record of how uh, you know how the academia and research have been responding to it so far keeping all this in mind we have issued a position statement to set an entire manifesto that how we should be going about the research and it so happens you know and uh, that uh, we believe that this this must be led or rooted rather you know from a very indian uh, you know thought process because the uh, we are the culture is the best equipped you know to to handle this sort of a, of a situation you know and and there is no reason why you know we must not attempt that so that's what we intend to do to set up a global agenda along with of course you know uh, i mean you know along with uh, all the scientists to to sort of you know discuss it out this has been you know happening for a long time so obviously you know you and i won't necessarily come to know you know what the the defense people are doing but what you and i can't know is that you know whatever they are doing it's not working you know because the ufos are doing whatever they they feel like we we better you know put up our hand and offer to lead this not just to contribute it is time to lead vakyas hope of the iceu becoming a major player and even leading the ufo discourse is very inspiring and so are the more technical plans for the iceu which consist of creating an authentic searchable database cataloging all ufo sightings reported in the indian media and others that were ignored It will also provide people a credible platform to submit their own UFO sightings, which would be independently verified by the ICEU and its expert team. So, while the future looks bright for the study of UFOs in India, with the work being done by Pushkar and the ICEU, we must also look back to the past for reference to the proliferation of UFO events throughout the country. and what that might tell us about what we are dealing with today in modern UFO accounts. Let's say that if there was some sort of advanced civilization in India thousands of years ago, one that not only had knowledge of advanced building techniques and medicines, but also of aerial vehicles that could even venture into space and the great beyond. Do they share a connection with the many UFO sightings that persisted in the modern era? Are they the same controllers of these aerial vehicles or phenomena that visited our planet in ancient times? If there is a connection between these apparent advanced aerial vehicles of ancient India and UFO sightings in the modern and contemporary era, what might that connection truly be? Did these apparent gods simply pull away from society, as many creation legends state, but maintain a discreet presence here on Earth? Or are they indeed visiting us from afar, observing humanity's progress? Or perhaps, if we accept the modern UFO sightings here are the result of extraterrestrial visitation, might these more recent cosmic visitors be an entirely different intelligence? with different motives altogether. 
there are many possibilities and few answers. And perhaps, as always, those answers remain enigmatically somewhere in the skies over India and beyond. This episode was co-researched and co-written by Marcus Loth. To learn more, visit ufoinsight.com. Special thanks to our voiceover talent, Nicholas Westemeyer, Jason McClellan, and Sarah Minascaro. Links to their work can be found in the show notes. Special thanks to Pushkar Vatya and The Week News Outlet. If you haven't already, please take just a moment to rate and review Somewhere in the Skies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. It helps us find new listeners and gain visibility. Speaking of listeners, please also consider sharing the show. Word of mouth goes a very long way. Thank you for your support. Thank you as always to the E1 Podcast Network. And of course, special thanks to you for listening. Remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.